The following program has adult language and potentially tons and tons of spoilers. Listener beware. Illegal Machine, Mr. Fix-It, Diablo Frank, Roy, Jimmy, so proudly put on your musket ears, it's time to meet the And we are live. Previously on the Marvel Superheroes podcast, we tackled the character, the cat, a feminist superhero from the early 70s that was created to try to capture a female market. Having covered the cat, I wanted to address who I felt was perhaps the most important female superhero overall for Marvel Comics in their history. And it is? I'm going to drop some knowledge on you. Bear with me. I hope. Bring, can you handle this? Bring it on, String Bean. Patsy Walker. Fucking believable. We just got through reading Patsy and Hetty. Some of Stanley's greatest work. Yep. I don't know what the date is on any of this shit. Nineteen sixty, I believe. Nineteen sixty was before all the superhero shit and after You do realize we're not having a Patsy and Heidi argument now. It's not Heidi, it's Hetty. Hetty don't give it Heidi Hetty. Which one is which? I couldn't tell I couldn't tell. Are you fucking serious, dude? Dude, it's chick comics. They were being catty. This is what I'm saying, man. I can't do a podcast with someone who thinks he's too cool for school if you don't even know what the two fucking characters were. I, okay, well, I, couldn't, I, I don't remember which character. Hetty's got the black hair. Patsy has the non-black hair. The redhead. Whatever the color that is. Brownish, reddish. It seemed to kind I of shift. I the redhead. She had freckles. Did she have freckles? Oh, that's my comic had water damage on it. It looked like freckles at one point. So it seems to me, this being the only Patsy and Hetty comic book that I've ever read in my entire life, that this revolves around Patsy, who's the popular girl, and the head of this little gang of kids. I would say. And Hetty's the second most popular and therefore resents Patsy in a way. I would concur with that. But it's more 1A, 1B. Hetty's enough of a threat that Patsy fucks with her too. Yeah, as we find out in the later stories, yeah. And so this is all about their hijinks. Well, more about trying to get each other jealous or both falling in love with the same outfit. Girl shit. Yeah. It's just girl shit. So about this, instead of going through every single one of these, because this looks basically made up of, what was this, like seven, eight little short comic strips? Yeah. Well, I never saw this one. You know what's weird? I missed that page, too. Where they have these little cutouts where you can dress the character. That's, uh, that's different. I also love the advertising where it's all makeup and typewriters and everything a good girl in the 60s should be focusing her career on. It, well, it's just like daytime TV, Tide ads. and Tampon and commercials. Tampon commercial. <laughs> Pine salt, you know what I mean? It's that shit. So I think it's it's the same. It's just advertising. I mean, it's funny, but you know, very Mad Men though. You got that vibe because Mad Men's about advertising. We're talking about advertising. Well, no, so yeah, there's like they're like, like where everything was 
this I mean, I get that this is pop this book was primarily for girls to read and so i guess the mindset they were setting up for girls to have at the time were like these are the things you should focus on the big french test to then date the french guy or you both want the same outfit and you're fighting over it it was, I don't know, it was kind of weird it's not well it's teenage it's not weird it's teenage girl shit but what age group do you think of girls would be reading this um high school junior high um i would say preteen to early teen Preaching everything, and it's funny because all the male figures are either providing money or the lust. All right, well, no, no, okay, we're talking about dumb shit. Okay, so that's what I was I was getting to. Too Take cool. A story or two in here that you actually thought was semi interesting. Well, you start. Okay. The one I like the best, second best. There were two I liked. One was called Patsy's Pals. So they've got a different name for each section. If it's a story related to Patsy, it's just called Patsy. And if it's another one about Patsy and Hetty, it's called Patsy and Hetty. And that's sort of how it starts out. So you know what the strip's going to revolve around. This one was Patsy's Pals. So it's about Patsy and her other girl chick friends. So it starts out with the three of them staring through a department store window. And there's this beautiful dress or gown that they want. That is absolutely ridiculously priced at forty nine ninety five, according to the tag on it. Which forty nine ninety five in nineteen sixty was somewhere between one point two and one point <laughs> six billion dollars. They all are lusting over this dress. This is Patsy Hetty and miscellaneous other girl. True. What is her name? Doesn't matter. So they're basically talking about, oh, I wish I could afford it. So they decide what they're going to do is they're all going to go home to their fathers. The typical, oh, dad, I need to advance on my allowance or I need to raise on my allowance. Daddy, please. What I loved about this is that each one of them gets homes to their father. So like Hetty, they show Hetty first. She gets home to her dad and her dad is freaking out as soon as she brings up, I need a bigger allowance. And he's like, oh, bigger allowance. And he freaks out because he's going through the stock market pages and he's lost a shit ton of money in the stock market and he's freaking out and uh, and then he holds up a bottle of aspirin he's like what do you think i'm taking these for because i like the taste and she's like but and then it goes to patsy's and she walks in and her dad's like like his hair is all frazzled and he's going through all these fucking bills and he's like bills 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 why was money ever invented and then she walks in and she's like hey daddy can i get an advance on my allowance or, or can i get a bigger allowance and he's and he, so he freaks out and he starts like pounding the table weeping because they don't have any fucking money and she's in there asking for then it leads to the, to the last girl whose name i don't care about and she's like daddy you busy he's like oh you know i'm just sitting here watching this television program and she go, and but he doesn't seem to be stressing over any sort of bills or anything so you figure this chick's gonna finally get it right so she's like i'd like a raise in my allowance and then the next panel is her father's passed out on the couch with stars around his head because he fainted and her mom comes in and it's like what's going on she's like but all i asked for was and she's like shh he may hear you and faint again the strip ends with them all reconvening at the dress shop and they're like man it was an ugly it was made for middle-aged women anyway we don't really want it oh and but i do like they so they asked her they're so were you successful and she's like i didn't make her i didn't get the raise i didn't get the raise and she's like i was this patsy i agreed to take a cut in my allowance so it was just funny because not only did they not get the money they ended up you know i thought that was pretty funny i wasn't expecting it to go that way that <laughs> really all their yeah i didn't expect their fathers this is a little kid's book man but see i think i guess you and i are looking at different because like when i read the one that was heady and she goes to the gas station and she's well, okay so that could be your yeah, no that's what i was gonna say that was the one i remember reading i i couldn't imagine someone reading this that was weird i'm not being insulted she shows up at the gas station and the guy's like yes ma'am can I? she's like yeah can you clean my windshield can you check the air in my tires can you give me a map and the dude the whole time's like i've spent 10 fucking minutes with you and i ain't made no money what do you want and she's like oh well, I'm just going to leave and go to the other gas station. She was so just, the the view of her was like, she's she's there for everything that's free. She's like, I, I don't know. I just thought I got a really weird. Right, like, but I read it. I, I thought it was interesting. But she comes out looking like an idiot. Yeah. Well, yeah. 
Well, that's, I guess that's the point. Well, not so much an idiot, but it's not because no. you can really say she's an idiot. She no, went there for service, but it's like the guy's like, you're here to buy something, buy something. You're taking all the free shit. And she's just kind of like, dee, 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 and then drives away. And I'm just like, that is really I know, but, but the, the last panel shows the clerk who was washing her windshield, refilling the tires, is like shrugging at the panel. <laughs> like, what's wrong with this broad? As she drives off, I'm going to go to the next place because she's going to get the same treatment there, yeah. too. They're going to give her free windshield washing and tire cleaning, and then they're going to hold her hand down and ask for a tip. And she's going to be like, what? And it's because she's just a flighty, dumb teenager. So maybe this is where you're coming from on this. You're not really sure if you're supposed to like or hate any of these characters, yes, right? True. Yeah. Okay. So because that's why no, that's I what I was that. kind of took off there. But yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is when I've read these stories, I don't know if I'm supposed to like these girls, feel pity for these girls, or bitches got problems type thing. I, I don't know how to react because it's really weird. It's not. You read this heady story and you'd be like, I don't like this bitch. I'd hate to be working and have this bitch come up to my window and do all this stuff and then just drive off real flighty. This is not someone you want to help. But then I'm supposed to read the next story and feel bad. For for her when she can't get allowance to buy a dress or when her but that's but but they don't get the allowance what but like the one where they both wear the same outfit actually the other the only other story i really liked was the one where they hate each other go to the movies to see a movie about friends that hate each other then they become friends okay see you're giving a terrible recap of my other one okay oh, so that was your other one yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah. the other I one i would agree with that one was a good one okay so the i think it's like second to last story oh, they're all going to a drive-in theater right it's patsy who's the other dude buzz it's not Jughead and archie <laughs> Dude, are you sure? Because I, I got a very Jughead and Archie feel out of that. Well, I mean, obviously, this is a competing magazine. I would assume so. We so, would have to ask Frank, but he's not here, so. Trust me, it's a competing magazine. So anyway, this is Patsy, Hetty, and their respective boyfriends. Doesn't matter their fucking names. It doesn't matter. They're going to the drive-in theater to go see movies. The whole time, Hetty and Patsy are being catty back and forth. So they go see this. Chick flick. Whereas yeah. by the end of it, these two lead characters. Like beaches or some shit where they're like, oh, oh, she, she died of cancer. Oh, we love each other. Type shit. Because they, they, these bitches be crying afterwards. These beaches be crying. So... <laughs> By the end of the movie, Patsy and Hetty are both crying, like, oh my god, I can't believe that we've been so mean to each other. Oh, what fools we are. So then she was like, I can't believe that I did this to you. Stabbed and then, you in the back. Right. St- I stabbed, stabbed you in the back in this the back. one time. And then Hetty's like, oh, I feel so bad about that time I stabbed you in the back. And then she was like, that was you? And she's like, yeah. Oh, well, then I feel bad about the time I did this to you. And then it then devolves into them just <laughs> revealing all the horrible stuff they've been doing to each other behind the scenes. Until- Remember that time your cat vanished? Guess where it went, bitch. Yeah, that's that's kind of how it just goes until they just get really, really upset at each other. So it's funny how it starts out bad and they make up and then it starts to just devolve and falls back. Down. I thought that one was good too. And these are all pretty short, quick, little, quickly. But they're not. I mean, would you say they are likable characters? They're I not think, a Peter Parker. I think that they're. Would you be able to relate these characters to girls you know or women you know? Or is this just a. Well, it's not made for me. I don't think this book was written for me. No, 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 no. Absolutely not. I'm almost wondering who it was written for. Here's so what, you're saying if you read like a Spider Man that's written for you compared to. To this not being written for you, right? Because uh, like I don't need this ad for lipstick in it. Uh, lips are looking a little chapter. Right? Okay, I can picture a little girl looking at this and either siding with Patsy or Hetty, and then reads it each week to side with Patsy or Hetty. I think the characters are good. I just I can't like them, dude. I, they are not likable people. These people are the assholes in school. Yeah, they're but they're superficial. Th- they're very elitist. Okay, who's cooler? You were talking about two right, 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 right. That's all they. That's all they focus about. Right, right, is but, who's cooler? But we're it, older. Yeah, true. But when we were young, everybody wanted to be in the, the cool group with the cool kids. So if you're about to go to high school or you're in elementary school and you got your group of friends, 
Well, I, I think that you're looking at it like you're an adult. Like, wow, these. Well, no, 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 not an adult. But I, I, I look at it like these are because okay, they are supposed to be high school girls. Uh, I, I, I thought yeah, college. Yeah, yeah. I high, mean, they really they high really, school because uh, the Hedy's, first Hedy's the French car, one, right? the French one didn't really state high school or college, so I wasn't sure. You know, no, they're definitely not college. college. They're definitely college. Okay, students. college so, wasn't. It was so, the '60s. Who gave a shit about college, right? So I'll give you that. That you know, they're 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 trying to be in their little cliques, but it just they weren't ever likable kids. There was not one time I was oh Patsy. It's not like a Jughead story. You're like oh Jughead, you dumbass. It's, this was more like wow, these bitches are really going out for each other. So you see, it's all up to you. You can be better than you are. You could be swinging on a star. Patsy Walker. She was either created or co-created by Ruth Atkinson, depending on who you ask. Atkinson was a pioneering female comic artist who entered the field around 1942 or 43. She worked on books like Wings, Jungle Comics, and Ranger Comics, and served as art director for Fiction House. She preferred drawing to directing, though, and so she moved to Timely, where she was involved in the creation of Patsy Walker and Millie the Model. Atkinson only drew the first issue of Millie, but she worked on Patsy for two years. If you go back to the beginning of Timely Comics, it was about Martin Goodman realizing the pulps were on their way out and superheroes on the way in. Are you familiar with MLJ at all? Not at all. MLJ was one of the first on the bandwagon with superheroes that created the S.H.I.E.L.D., who I'm sure you recall yeah. was a major influence on Captain America to the point where people got lawyers involved. Marvel had to make some changes to deal with the S.H.I.E.L.D. So MLJ was making some money off the superheroes, but a lot of people, when they think of the Golden Age, they tend to think that it lasted throughout the 1940s. The thing is, they were already cooling midway through World War II. By the end of the 40s, superheroes were pretty much over, and all those titles were getting canceled that DC and Timely and all of them had been working on. If you could find a bandwagon to hop on, even by the middle of the 40s, you were ahead of the game. MLJ, though, they were smart. They found their next big thing all the way back in 1941 as a fellow named Archie Andrews. Oh. Archie and the Riverdale gang were soon tossing the superheroes out of their own magazines in favor of teeny bopper comedy, and once Martin Goodwin caught wind of how well they were doing, demanded his own clone at Timely. Patsy Walker debuted in November 1944's Miss America Magazine No. 2, which ran for 83 issues, and she starred in the book for most of its run. Goodman was so meticulous in his instructions to ape America's top teenager that Patsy's America's number 1 teenager even had the same type of crosshatch in her hair as Archie. Wow. However, Patsy tended to have reddish-brown hair like her dad's until 1950, when she clearly went ginger out of a bottle because her brother and her mother were blondes. The dynamic was a bit different than Archie, though. Patsy's personality was closer to a more proactive Betty Cooper. And then her childhood friend turned teenage beau, Buzz Baxter, he was kind of like a blander version of Archie, since he wasn't the focal character in this story. And her rival, Hetty Wolf, was more of a cross between the worst aspects of Veronica Lodge and Reggie Mantle. Am I blowing you out with all this Archie shit? Just you remember keep all going. this guys? You got a good momentum going. Keep <laughs> okay. going. Patsy was often called the prettiest girl in town, and the extra attention paid her infuriated the rich and more accomplished Hetty. They ostensibly battled for Buzz's attention, but really they were the most bitter, cattiest frenemies, and the books were more about their constant competition than any single male object of desire. By extension, the tone was a bit nastier than Archie's, but they were at least as guilty as recycling gags, a lot of cheesy stuff done over and over again, especially if you go through the covers. They had the same jokes three or four times you know, with slight variations and sometimes even no variation. Other characters in the strip were the girl's mutual friend Nancy and Patsy's family. As far as I know her father was named Stanley in the Golden Age which might be a tale since Stanley is sometimes credited as Patsy's co-creator. In the Bronze Age though her parents were named Joshua and Dorothy Walker. I believe the mother was actually Betty in the Golden Age though and that's also another tale. She had a kid brother Mickey who got forgotten somewhere along the way. They all lived in this perfectly white bread town of Centerville. Besides biting on Archie they also borrowed Katie 
hacking shtick of using hair and outfit suggestions submitted by readers and then putting a little caption credit. Brenda Monroe of Virginia sent in this snazzy outfit that Patsy's wearing. Oh, wow. When I was a kid, I read Meet Misty, which did the same thing. Trina Robbins was trying to revive that formula for Star Comics. Anyway, the eponymous Patsy Walker book began in mid-1945 as a quarterly, but switched to bi-monthly with number three and ran 124 issues through December 1965. From there, Patsy became the Deadpool of 1950s Atlas. The covers of issues number 16 and 17 boasted 5 million readers. Holy cow. Yeah. I don't know if they actually were doing those kind of numbers. It's certainly possible. Obviously, this chick was huge. Spinoffs included 110 issues of Patsy and Hetty running from 1952 to 1967, 29 issues of Patsy and her pals running from 1953 to 57, 8 issues of Wendy Parker in 1953, 6 issues of Girls Life in 1954, tie-ins with Georgie Comics, which ran 19 issues, appearances in Cindy Smith, Alteen Comics, Hetty Wolf, and A Date with Patsy One-Shots came out in 1957, a series of crossovers with Millie the Model began in 1961, there was a 72-page Patsy and Hetty annual in 63, and Patsy Walker's Fashion Parade Queen Size Reprint One Shot came out in 1966. Hetty's trying so hard to hang out with the cool crew. I think this was the only story when I read that had somewhat of a redeemable value was at the end when she's, oh, I, I try to hang out with the cool kids and all they care about is the stock market. Stuff that's too above my head, too intellectual for me. Let me go back to my dumb real friends. That was an instance that makes sense. The grass is always greener. But she wanted to go up there because they were the cool kids. Because she, they were I'm icy 100% cold. I'm sure she did not say cool kids. No, she didn't. There was a did part, she say cool yeah, kids? Because there's a part where they're icy cold to her. No, I understand. That's blow what them off say, they want you more. I don't think that the word cool was that was that used? Let's in see. Uh, let's Please see. Please find. Wow, look at the car bigger than. Da, da, da. Dun, 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 dun. She's inviting the parents over. I know. I know how she views them as cool kids. I don't think she calls them the cool kids. I think she calls them something else. The, oh, here we go. Uh, after. Uh, oh, just so you know, the other chick's name was Vera. The one in the green dress. Classic Vera. And her crowd are sophisticated, not average teenagers like Patsy's crowd. Yeah. Right, right, right. She wants to go. I know. So she gets over there and they're all talking about a bunch of young World Republican, events. Bunch of young Republican <laughs> bullshit. And then so she's like, uh, maybe I didn't want to hang out with these kids. I don't want to sit around and talk about the stock market. I'd rather go hang out with Patsy. Patsy and the gang. If you put your mind in the context of the 60s and reading this, it's kind of funny to think that this is how Stan Lee was writing for girls at the time, but at the same time, he's writing Spider-Man. This is very inspiring. He was not writing Spider-Man at the same time. Was he not? 60s? I'm going to say 1961. Amazing Fantasy 15. This is written in 1960, just a year prior to that. So I think. Hold on. It's... This was 1960. I mean, Iron Man was what? Early 63? So Spider-Man was already out by then? So then you got to figure the same man who wrote a very inspirational Peter Parker wrote two douchebaggy chicks who cat were catty all the time and either boy crazy. I, I do feel like there was some lesbianism, though. I got this real gay vibe. I got none of that. You're totally projecting that shit. You're just trying to spice up this podcast. <laughs> No, um, dude, if I wanted to do that, we'd be reading Two Hot Girls, One Hot Night, not Patsy and Heidi. No, there's a part watch. Six, uh, Amazing Fantasy 15 was uh, 1962. 62? So here's what I think. Patsy and Heidi are interesting. Whether you think they're assholes or not, I think they're interesting characters. Really? Yeah. Wow, okay. 
You don't think there's anything interesting about the conflict between Patsy and Hetty and the shit they get into? Two catty white chicks, no. Okay, no, no, no. So then how would you write this comic book? No, no. I, They're just I nice to each other all the time? No, no, no. When I was reading this, I was more intrigued by the views of them. Like, the way they were portrayed, I thought was funny. Every time we watch TV shows... Then you got like Stan Lee'd, bro. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. I'm reading this, and I'm thinking all the time, Stan Lee wrote this, huh? Because his name's all over. I get that this is not a superhero book. It's supposed to be a real life. But even in real life, it's almost like they're projecting how these girls should act in real life. Now, I get girls act like this. This is not new, but I've never really read real life comics. If I read comics, okay. it was always fantasy. Here's stuff. what I think. I think this is just way more interesting than I was expecting a little teenage girl's book to be. That's why I was. So, I thought it was hilarious when they went to go, oh, dad, let's give me a raise on my allowance. And he's and he's like, dude, the stock market's tanking, you dumb broad. Go to your room or take a pay cut. That's hilarious to me. Obviously, a woman didn't write that. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's weird. Weird. I don't think it's bad. Oh no, it wasn't bad. It's just like you're trying to say, oh, these characters are interesting. I'm like, no, they're I assholes. Think that was, like, uh, if you find assholes interesting, then yeah, you would. It'd be like, yeah, that's kind of interesting. You know? Well, so why are the two those two comments are not mutually exclusive? Oh, I know. I think an asshole in a book can very much be interesting. I think that these two chicks fucking each like other they, over all the time they, is hilarious. Think about it was it. Good. Did they in each story that you read? Did they ever really change, or was it the exact same mentality? Either give me something, I gotta be cool. Give me something, I'm cooler than you. Right. Give me something, and was, sometimes they get it and sometimes they get shut down if they didn't get it every time that oh, was, yeah. what was no. that's what I thought was compelling about it yes the characters are going to act the same they're teenage kids they're concerned with what teenage kids are cared about they want to be cool and they want shit I guess. but sometimes guess what you ain't cool gotta go back to your old friends other times guess what don't have money to give you a raise I mean I guess I can see it. I just didn't find them compelling I would I would want to read something else during the same period and see a different take on it I guess I think it would have to be different I can't imagine that the, I, I would think that this is actually a fairly unique well, I would, I'm co- almost curious uh, although I have to say i haven't read shit for archie yeah i think i read one issue and i didn't like it i'm almost curious as how long did this series go on how long can these chicks be so catty with each other because it almost felt like this you're about to get franked <laughs> of the 27 titles tom lee published with a 1944 cover date only two were still being published by 1951 miss america and marvel mystery comics the former had become a girls magazine starring patsy walker and the latter had turned into a horror suspense series retitled marvel tales of the new titles to debut with Patsy Walker in 1945, only similar teen comedies like Georgie, Nellie the Nurse, and Millie the Model made it into 1952. By that point, Mark Goodman had ordered the firing of much of Timely's staff and rebranded his comics line, Atlas. In January 1953, Atlas had eight horror anthologies, 14 war titles, a crime book, a western, four romances, and five teen comedies, three of which starred Patsy Walker. Jump to January 1956, there's eight weird suspense anthologies, four war books, seven westerns, two jungle girl strips, a Casper ripoff, a humor book, five romances, and five team titles, four of which starred Patsy Walker. 1957 was a very bad year for Atlas. Martin Goodman had been distributing his own comics for years, but was talking to shutting that operation down and moving to American News Corporation. Years earlier, Goodman had canceled a trip with his wife on the Hindenburg because they couldn't find two seats together. But Atlas had switched distributors right in time for American News to go under after troubles with the government had led to lawsuits that bankrupted the company. At the first half of 1957, Atlas averaged 39 titles a month. In the second half, that number was halved. Hat in hand, Atlas moved to Independent News, which was owned by the same businessman who controlled DC Comics. Independent forced Atlas to shrink their line to 16 titles and only 8 releases per month. January 1958 offered two westerns, two romances, a war book, Homer the Happy Ghost, Millie the Model, and Miss America starring Patsy Walker. Despite the restrictions, Patsy Walker was in a book every single month and two every other month. The other major stars of the line were Wyatt Earp, Millie, Two-Gun Kid, and Kid Colt. 
Miss America was canceled to make room for more horror titles, including Tales to Astonish and Tales of Suspense. Rawhide Kid was revived and replaced Wyatt Earp. There were only two romance books every other month. A Millie spinoff and new teen strip Kathy were introduced and lasted into the late 60s. They had less success with My Girl Pearl and Linda Carter, student nurse. This was more or less the status quo for several years. <laughs> Insert Frank. Because it feels, like, it feels like this would be like the entire run. And if they went something like 50-something I don't issues, think so. I, I, they either killed each other or were gay lovers or something, dude. Something weird would have to happen near the end. Because you cannot be this catty and hate each other for so long. I think you could. I mean, look how long Peanuts ran. And all those characters act the exact same time. The Bay- dude, I'm pretty the sure Bay- Charlie Brown was going to kill Peppermint Panty. Or what was it? No, Lucy. I'm sure did, Charlie Brown beat her ass. Did he ever? Did. How long did the Peanuts gang last, buddy? Well, dude, Peanuts is like the fucking family circus or family circus. This is the same it's shit. Of, What's it's any those, different, but it's man? one of those things that they just print we're, we're reading people a, read it. We're reading a serial of that. A dozen people read Peanuts gang? Are no, you no, out no. of your mind? People read it and it's printed. Now, how many people do you like? I mean, there's people like, oh, I love the Peanuts because they're thinking of like the Great Pumpkin or the Christmas special. Have you ever read, sat down and really read a Peanuts comic? No, because it's 2014. But what do you think in 1978? Billions of people read that shit. That's what you did. You woke up and you got the fucking morning fuzzy, funnies. True, but I'm but I'm saying you're talking about this now. We're talking about this now, though. I'm saying no. We're talking about. Are we talking about this now? Yeah, I thought we were. This now was better than I thought it was going to be. I thought this was going to be some stupid shit where the girl gets gets everything she wants because that's what Stan Lee thought little girls wanted to read about. Patsy's always got the nicest stuff, and Patsy's always got this. And instead, Patsy and Hetty were fucking going toe-to-toe all the time. So, that was just totally different than I thought it was going to so be. So you're praising the book because the girls actually learned disappointment. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. I mean, I, I, I see your argument being sound. I mean, they were semi-disappointment or they were fighting over some French dude or poor Tubby sitting there pretending but to be But when French they were spot. fighting, okay, so that was another story. Their teacher, who was hot and all the guys were talking about how hot this teacher was, she has some French boyfriend coming into town who's some famous dude, right? So she's a French teacher and she says, hey, whoever gets the highest score on this French test at the end of the week can get to go out on a date with me and this French guy. So all the girls are freaking out. The way it devolves into is Hetty spends every freaking waking moment for the next week talking French completely aces the test gets a 100 patsy only gets like a 97.5 she gets second place but because hey studied so much she suffered from exhaustion and was in missed school that day patsy by default won i think that page is missing out of my book <laughs> True. oh there it is i think that was both that page that we both missed yeah yeah that was part that was part of the page I was going to say, the one I liked, was the, I thought that was strange, was the one about the dogs. When she whips out the Great Dane to get some ass. I thought that was kind of strange. Oh. What? Oh, see, I, no, okay. So, like I said, we didn't read this. This is a page apparently a page apparently you and I both missed. And probably this one line is probably the best line I've read in it. No, no, no. We didn't miss it. I didn't. Because read. editing. So, we don't know. We read it. So, what happened was, after Hetty's too exhausted, she can't go on the date, Patsy says, oh, well, I win by default, right? So, what Patsy does, because the teacher gives her the, the date, the date, she goes, you know what? I didn't win this fair and square. Hetty's supposed to get it. So they phased to that. And of course, everybody's like, that's our Patsy. So Patsy is taking care of Hetty in bed. But I love the fact that if you can't be friends with your enemy, who can you be friends with? These I don't even know if these chicks really like each other. Is that banter for them? I really like you, but... Well, if she didn't like her, she would have gone on the date. Mm, true. Like I said, I've never read stuff like this, so it's very new for me. I don't, I've don't. i never read any kind of life comics. That's what I'm saying. 
the, like that, the close my expectations this like, of this this is so far off my expectations for this that's why I thought that this was pretty interesting because well, I've read and like American some, Splendor my my, hope, my my hopes were really high I guess I was looking for something deeper in a comic that I shouldn't have been it's a kid's comic and I was looking for something deeper I think that it went deeper two catty chicks it's not two catty chicks. Where was it deep? Okay. Did they get what they want? No. Deeper than I thought. I, I didn't I didn't okay. think that this book was going to touch on the financial struggles of her family <laughs> and the stock market crashing. And I the did, fact that I pa- did. Patsy isn't this – it's not some super rich family that lives up in a castle at the end of the street. And they're the popular girls and the rich girls. They don't have fucking money, man. If Patsy's dad had hung himself at the end of the comic, then I'm on board. Let's roll with this train. Let's roll with this train. Patsy's dad took it there. But. This is the worst podcast ever. <laughs> I don't know, dude. I've I've heard of the Quasar or Kazar episode. We, we're not talking about Kazar anymore. That joke played out. <laughs> that was now like two months ago, and then this may not get aired for like another couple weeks. So really? we, we got to stop talking about Kazar. We got to move on. I finally listened to it. Da, 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 yeah. da, da, da. If I broke your heart last night, it's because I love you most of first comics to feature the Marvel Comics branding in 1961 were Journey into Mystery number 69 and Patsy Walker number 95. Fantastic Four number one arrived a few months later. Superheroes began taking over all of Marvel's anthologies in 1962. By 63, Marvel were up to 12 titles, roughly half of which were dominated by long underwear types, though every other month, Patsy, Millie, and Kathy took up the other half. All three were brought into the Marvel superhero shared universe through cameos surrounding the wedding of Sue Storm to Reed Richards in Fantastic Four Annual Number 3. By 1964, all the non-serialized romance titles were gone, but the teen comedies had been converted to melodramas anyway. Soap operas had obviously influenced the Marvel superhero stories and now unified the line, so if you wanted light comedy, you had to go buy Archie's instead. Patsy and Hetty graduated high school, and their co-headlining book gained the subtitle Career Girls. Buzz shipped off to the military while new love interest and boss Ted Trent was introduced. Hetty eventually stopped her endless scheming against Patsy and became a roommate. Patsy and Hetty outlived Walker's solo title, but both were gone by 1967. So you gotta figure, if Patsy Walker had so many titles, boasting sales potentially as high as 5 million copies, especially there toward the end of the 1950s, Patsy Walker might have kept that company alive for there to ever have been Marvel Comics. And the fact is, you get a lot of press on Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman being continuously published from the Golden Age through the present. Also, guys like Aquaman and Green Arrow have gotten some cachet because they managed to last from the Golden Age into the Silver Age in strips, even though they were never headliners, they never had their own books. Well, Patsy came out toward the end of World War II. She managed to last from the Golden Age into the Silver Age, right up to the end of the Silver Age. And she was probably one of the best-selling books the company that became Marvel had in some of their most dire times. That's a huge accomplishment. She may have been a major factor in keeping that company afloat for there ever have been Marvel Comics. And yet, nobody talks about this character anymore. Marvel Comics got started right around 1939 as timely, but there were only two characters in their library that managed to be published from the 1940s through the 1960s uninterrupted. Those two characters were Millie the Model and Patsy Walker. Patsy Walker, at the time her last series was canceled in 1967, had appeared in more comics than any other Marvel character. Hmm. Okay, that's kind of cool. I'd gotten really involved in reading up on this character, reading magazine articles, internet articles, whatever comics I could get my hands on, but I didn't have a lot of Patsy Walker stuff lying around, because who the hell's Patsy? 
Galaxy Walk. That got me so interested that I ended up ordering a bunch of the old series. And the more I read, the more I enjoyed it. I've read a stack of these Patsy and Hetty's so far, and I get a kick out of them. I think they're a lot of fun. I always thought that I hated stuff like Archie. I read some Archies when I was a kid. Recently, they started putting out these gigantic 800-page full-color digest of their books. Picked one up because I thought if nothing else, it would be good bathroom reading. That way I don't have to take other stuff in there. There would just be this one big book that stayed there. I got a handful of stories in. The truth is, I fucking hate Archie. Archie's boring because they make a point of just status quo, status quo, and it's so soft-pedaled and milk toast that I can't get into it. That is the widest book in American publishing history, Archie. <laughs> so I'm reading these, and yeah, you do have that dynamic where Patsy and Hetty are fighting each other all the time, but that's a lot more energetic than Betty, Cooper, and Veronica Lodge just always kind of half-ass going at each other, and it's always over friggin' Archie. Why is that guy even desirable? He's a ginger. I thought women were repelled by gingers. I thought those freckles were like an anti-aphrodisiac. What's cool with this book is two girls have a guy to fight over, Buzz Baxter, but the guy's a total limp dick. There's nothing to him, and the only reason they fight over him is because he's a prize to be won, not because, at least on the case of Eddie Wolf, I don't think she has any legitimate interest in Buzz. She just has to win him away from Patsy for her own self-validation. And also, I do kind of, when you read a lot of these stories, like I said, I've read a stack of these things. I don't think Patsy's a lesbian, but I kind of wonder if Hetty is because she's so fixated on Patsy and whenever Patsy's actually in a bad place, she softens. So sometimes I wonder if she's just not super resentful of her heterosexuality and that cattiness and that competition is almost like her... Flirting. Huh? Like yeah, flirting. flirting. Not, not just flirting, but also there's maybe some aggression there. It's like passive she aggressive? knows, yeah, passive aggression, well, or actually open aggression. But it's almost like she's punishing Patsy for not saying who her true love should be, Hetty Wolf. It's a weird dynamic there. For a story to be sustained for that long with that level of aggression, the dynamic isn't very different from the Marvel comics. Yeah, and Stan Lee, he's credited, he actually has his name signed in the artwork on all these books as though he were the artist. Yeah. And it makes you wonder if he's not doing that whole credit grab thing that he's infamous for with the, the Marvel creators like Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko. And so his name is in the artwork ahead of Al Hartley, who drew most of the issues that we read. Dude, you didn't draw that book. But he's still Stan Lee, and these stories are much more entertaining than anything of this genre that I've read before. But the dynamic's a lot like the Marvel comics, but it's still a battle between these two personalities. Every story revolves around Patsy and Hetty at war with each other in a conflict. But there's also that soap opera element where they're friends, but they're enemies, and there's this whole... Frenemies. Yeah, so there's this ambivalence. If one of them breaks down, the other one's there to support them. And I think that stuff like Patsy Walker influenced how Stan wrote the superhero stories and influenced the birth of Marvel in that way. Not only did Patsy help to keep the company alive during their leanest years, but I think she informed how those books were written and that the sarcasm, that easy banter. What the hell were Johnny Storm and Ben Grimm doing? Where did Stan learn to do that kind of thing? Off shit like Patsy and Hetty. I gotta admit, this book, the second one that we had to read was a little more entertaining. It was a little different. Mm -hmm. There was a lot darker tones in there or not darker tones just they kind of took the story in a strange place where I didn't think they would take it well elaborate on that so the jet pilot uncle that they're just going nuts over the dude's like I'm thinking late 20s early 30s and these girls are throwing their panties at and they're high. clearly high school seniors yeah they, oh, they state that I mean they're, there's no way they're 18 yet they are definitely under the line I believe Hetty's just throwing her panties at me. She's just going nuts over him. That was the one story I was reading. I was like, kind of interested because Hetty wanted him. They both wanted him. But then right at the end, Patsy was like, but no, I love Buzz. And I was kind of like, okay, I didn't see that coming. That competition was gone. Hetty gets the man. She's all excited. And of course, she's at her, you know, her line at the end is, even when I win, I lose. And I was kind of... Oh, well, but she, she was bowing out though because she had taken a flight with the pilot yeah. and gotten sick. But you think you're missing a key element. That was Nan, their, their third friend, the brown-haired girl. There's the two catty women and then there's Nan, who's the sweet one right in the middle who wants to be friends with both of them and doesn't get involved in their shenanigans. That was her uncle, her parents' brother, which means 
this guy has got to be at least a whole one of them in advanced That's age like on late that. Late 20s, early 30s. No, I'm thinking more like late 30s, early 40s. This guy is supposed to be a colonel. Oh, he's an Air Force right, pilot, right. and he's her uncle. That's and he's right. flying around with these teenage girls. That's pretty damn dicey. Yeah. Um, well, they say he fought in both world wars. Both wars. Both I think wars. they meant Korea, Korea and World War II. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. He'd be closer to 40. Yeah. Wow. And, and she's going she's, back to Fantastic Four, the same thing. That whole A-ball relationship with Reed and Sue. Because it was firmly established. I mean, he's got gray hair, and she's barely out of her teen, teen years. Yeah. Dan had some predilections, She I says, think. were you in the war? And he says, yes, both of them. To me, that sounds like World War II. Uh, okay, well, so maybe. The, the, the chronological. I don't think of that. He, Steve Rogers, know. he was frozen. He was unfrozen. You know, type. Oh, shit. Maybe he's Steve Rogers. No, I'm kidding. I think you guys are reading way too much in this comic book. Uh, no. Well, I don't think you read enough. I don't know. I'm just saying. I know he was definitely older than them. What I'm saying you is, don't get that head he was throwing their panties at him. No, of course I do. The problem was this was 1960. This wasn't some taboo thing in 1960, I don't think. It is true. Robin the Cradle was a lot more of a thing back before, really, the turn of the century. But the dude was quite a bit older. But no, I mean, you used to have these much older guys with these much younger women because they could support them, honestly, you know? Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. It's, I mean, it's, but I'm not, it's I'm not saying that he's older. Well, even then, do we know when statutory rape laws even came? I mean, when, oh, when, when did... The fact that we're in a statutory, like, age of consent well, conversation here is already dicey. No, no, no. You two already brought I'm up that they were Lee went into that. pre-18. Well, in 1960, what the fuck? Like, when did when did 21 become the, the law to drink? Actually, that was much more recent. Fairly recently, right? That's what I'm saying. So if this would have had them drinking in it, we'd be like, oh my God, they're not, not drinking I'm not trying to say this guy no, was no, no. going to get busted for jailbait. I'm just saying that ethically, it's a little bit gray. By, by 2014, by 2014 standards, yes. But this comic book was written in 1960. I think even in 1960, it would be a little weird for an Air Force colonel okay. to be hanging out with a high school senior. Dude, they made a big deal about the graduate. Yeah. yeah. And so, Anne Bancroft was only in like her early 40s. So you got to that. She might have been late 30s, actually. Yeah, so you got to remember, that movie was such a huge uh, controversy then. So this would be controversial. And that was, six, I think that was 68. Now, maybe it's a double standard where women, older women you date and younger men mm-hmm. is more controversial compared to an older dude mm-hmm. slamming a younger Because this one, you could tell she was so excited and in love and... Well, like, part of it, too, with the graduate is he was already with the daughter, and then he's with the mom. So that's where true. part of that comes from. About your reactions, I think there's a cultural aspect, because Mac sees white girls doing white girl shit, where you were completely alienated from a lot of that type of stuff. So for you, it's like, my where I was growing up, they didn't do this kind of shit. No, I, I would say, you know, the Hispanic community, there's a lot of older dudes dating. No, 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 I'm not talking about that specifically. I'm talking about the stories oh, broadly. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're, I don't think you're, because I, I, I think part of the reason why you had such a strong the reaction against the first book you read was because it was a completely alien scenario. Well, no, yeah, it you. was really weird. Like very I know, suburban. I know catty chicks like this, but they just fight. And then they drink and then they hang out. After reading this one, I've got the whole Machiavelli thing. Like, I, I get it now how they're undermining each other. I saw what Mac was talking about more in this one. They set each other up and they admit it. Hetty, her lifestyle apparently changed because now she had a butler. No, Hetty is rich. But I thought in the last book she wasn't rich. Vera Rich? Yeah. The little pundy girl? The reason why she was going to go hang out with him is because she is Veronica. She oh, is the rich chick. And then there are this rich group that she starts to hang out with. And once she hangs out with them, she realizes they're boring and she doesn't get their joke. And then she goes back to her more regular friends. But she's a rich chick. She that, in one that of these was, stories. That was why her father was concerned about the stock market, right? Because yeah. he's he's. Because well, I, I, I don't like it, but I actually enjoyed these a little bit better. The first ones, I guess you're right. I, was I think you kind of have to get it into the this vibe one, of it. Yeah, yeah you just got to get in their world. This is different. I actually read this comic, and I wasn't. Oh Jesus Christ! Another four pages. I read through a half a stack of these things once I got into it, and yeah, it's kind of weird, and messed up. But that's part of what's enjoyable about it. I think the, these guys have a really messy relationship. 
relationships with one another, as opposed to Riverdale, where everybody's all sweet and nice and happy, and they're like the Muppet Babies. With these books, these people have some issues. Yeah. With us, we start to pick up on the subtext. We start to go, wait a second, if this is a sustained narrative, and we're talking about 25 years or so of doing this, so there has to be underlying issues. When you start psychoanalyzing it, you start to pick up on subtext that maybe wasn't intended, but also you got Stan Lee projecting a lot of his patriarchal values. He's writing this about his daughters. He's writing this about the girls he's dated. He's not a woman, and he can't write from a woman's perspective, and that comes across in these stories. These are stories written by a man for women, but I think one of the reasons why I appreciate it is because I'm seeing him put stuff into these women that's a little creepy, but interesting. I could agree with that. Like I said, Hetty, and almost in these books, she was more the aggressor. Here's the thing with Patsy. One of the things I I like with Patsy Walker is that I was expecting her to be the good girl, like you said, like real clean-cut, sweet. She gets into this, too, and she gets involved in these competitions. She does some nasty stuff as well, so it's not like you've got a clear-cut black and white situation. You've got a couple of different shades of gray there. Hetty tends to be the more aggressive one, and she's the more competitive one, but it's not like Patsy backs down from this stuff. Nan is the good girl in this group. You can side with one or the other, and I think that maybe part of where the appeal was, because people were still buying this, and I don't think it was guys. I think that part of the appeal is that women get into these relationships where is she my friend? Is she my enemy? And I think they could really respond to that, and whether you feel like you're more of a Hetty or more of a Patsy, you're still identifying with those characters. You're just maybe identifying with stuff that Stanley didn't necessarily intend to be there. Right. She's but saying, still there. She's like, hell yeah, stick it to Patsy or hell yeah. Stick, you know, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's what I was saying in the, the, that first round of book is that it, none of this is, you're not supposed to like any of these characters, but I think you're going to eventually pick a side and then that becomes the character that you root for. Okay, so here, here we go. I've been kind of quiet here. 90210. You're talking like Brenda? Talking about Brenda and Kelly and Dylan. What were the compelling characters in that show? Well, everybody hated Brenda, but everybody the whole hated, show fell apart after she left though, Everybody right? hated Brenda. So what about Kelly? Kind of neutral. Everybody hated Kelly, too. I didn't she, hate Kelly. She, she was hot. The, right. But she was she was the bimbo. I don't know if I'd go that yeah. far. She was the good yes, girl, she but was. she wasn't deep but she No, she wasn't. Okay. But that's my whole point. None, none of, just, what was Gabrielle Carteris' character name? The, the nerdy Nan. girl? Nan. Really? That was her No. She's, it, she's no. the one I like. That wasn't... <laughs> I get what you're going with. That yeah. wasn't her name, but you know what I'm saying? You don't necessarily have to project yourself as one of the characters to enjoy it. You can enjoy the train wreck. Yeah, sometimes the reader may be Nan, and she's enjoying That's watching her saying, friends do that same I'm going. shit. You're yeah. Nan watching all your dumb friends do all the dumb shit they always do, and you're enjoying the soap opera as Nan faded out in the background. It's shot in fraud, or however you pronounce that. Yep, that too. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I was watching Marital Child at the time. I've never seen a 90. Yes. Uh, I know but, but you know. Don't, 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 no, no, I know the show. No, I, honestly, okay, I, so you I know the show. I don't know. You're not wrong, the show Or the characters, but I know, know nothing of the episodes. I don't know if it happened in college, high school. I think we're coming at this the wrong way. Married with Children is the same situation. Do any of us really identify with any of those characters? Do we like those characters and want to be with them as friends? You're getting off on them attacking each other. True. And you may see your own life reflected in those characters. If you grew up like me, you do. But I don't want to be Bud Bundy. I enjoy watching Bud get nailed for all the things that I feel badly about that I might end up getting up to. And I like seeing Kelly get... Buck is Nan. Buck is Nan. You get to be Buck the dog and watch this stupid family tear each other apart every episode. But they still love each other. If you've got a scummy brother, you get to see him put through his pace. If you've got a slutty sister... And they still love each other. At the end of the yeah. issue. I, I think it's a very good point. You want to see people get their comeuppance, but you don't hate those people. You just want to see them put through their paces and maybe learn a little well, something from the shit they get up to. Hate or not, it, an emotion's an emotion. So 
even if you hate someone, you're going to tune in next week for whatever your motivation is that you want to happen to that character, as long as the character is interesting. And I think that these characters, I think Nan, I mean, not Nan. Yeah, Nan um, is definitely not interesting. Yeah, not Nan. She's sweet. She's nice. She, she has her She uses. serves her role. But I think Patsy and Hedy are both interesting characters. Mm-hmm. And I think that this gang is more compelling each week to read the three-page short story to find yeah, out. Yeah, I tell you, because again, I couldn't get hardly, I didn't make a dent in that Archie crap, but I could eat these up. I just, I made a, a conscious effort of stopping at a certain point because I felt the need because to. Because you were descending into insanity. Descending into insanity. It was easy not addressing just, like Buffalo Bill. But it's easy to just blow right through these things. You get involved. If they're repetitive, again, like Married with Children, there's only so many plots on that show. There's only so many plots on 90210. But as long as you enjoy the subtle variations, it's a good time. And it's very light, nice reading you know, without being so nice that it's boring. Well, like I said, this one was a little more interesting. There was one story arc in here. The one where uh, Hetty thought she was going to be a movie star or a TV star, and Tubby actually wins at the end. What do you think about the male characters in these books? Like The male characters are lousy. They, they're they, like they, very they, stiff. It's totally sexist. All the men in this book are cardboard cutouts. They really have no meaning beyond what's going on with the women. I, the book I, I is about that, the women, female characters. I know the, the book is about these two women. Everybody else's background, especially the guys. This is a sexist book in the sense that it's about the women. Nobody else matters besides these two key characters especially the guys and I've read so many comic books like that where those the genders are reversed but it's the same dynamic it's kind of refreshing to see a book where it's just about two women about their competition and their relationship with one another right and, and I think that that's an, a very important point like we said the guys in this comic it do, you don't even need to know their names, right? They're, they're all just – they're all background. They're the, they're I, the I, I literally had to take notes. To be, I know Buzz Baxter, but every other male in this book, I had to note his name because they would – one thing that is a little tricky with this book is they don't always tell you people's names. Obviously, you can catch Patsy and Hetty because they make a point of statting in the same image mm-hmm. on every third page at the start of a new strip so they don't have to draw that panel, which – Economical, but like the guys, I really had to pay attention to catch the name I'm talking about over the course of the stack I read. It's like, oh, that's what that guy's name is. I would think if Archie, so let's think about this for a second. So we're saying that Archie is a little more dude centric. Is that what we're saying? Or Archie was just made? No, I, I don't think that Archie skews either way. So why because does this one there, have to there go are some so- strips that are about Archie, some are about Betty, and the, the protagonist shifts. They're so one note. It doesn't really matter who your protagonist is. There isn't really an antagonist. It's not like Archie and, and Reggie Mantle never got at, into it the way that Patsy and Eddie do. Betty and Veronica really don't go into those type of areas. So it doesn't really matter who the lead character is. They're going to have some stupid, boring, first world problem that's going to get resolved in four pages. I would say th- this one, again, they, they touch on Patsy's family's money problem. Again, this one, which I thought was pretty cool. They're middle class where, you know, uh, there's one story where Hetty is trying to win Buzz. So she buys the most expensive sports car in the world. The Pizza Goomba, I think is what it's called. He's driving it around and they're and Patsy's like, oh my God, I finally lost him. And then he borrows a car to take Patsy to the dance that Hetty thought he, she was going to win him over with. And then the next, the last panel is her trying to sell this expensive car cheap. And her dad's like, what? She's got that kind of money. To win friends, she builds an ice rink behind her house. So that her friends aren't driving all the way out to a frozen lake. And she calls ahead to the cop in that town with a bribe. So he stops them from ice skating. Hetty. That Hetty. Classic Hetty. Because they have that one where Buzz, was it Buzz comes over and almost gets that date rapes motion going on where he's about to jump on Patsy. And Patsy's like, no, no, no. I want to have a meaningful conversation about the world. And he's like, I'm here for some ass. And she's like, no, you got to leave until you come back and you're more intellectual. How long since I told you what a living doll you are? Not long enough, but it's been too long since we've discussed politics and current events. Buzz Baxter, there are more important things in life than kissing and holding hands. And then he comes back, and then he just, like, 
blows her mind with. He he basically studied up. He she'd heard on the radio that men prefer women who had more things to talk about. Yeah. It kept them engaged beyond just the smooches. And so he went and listened to like. NPR for an entire day, <laughs> and then he comes back and just bores the hell out of her for three hours. And not the kind of boring well, we're talking bored, about. Dude. I think I think he just like destroyed her with facts and numbers. No, he just kept talking. It was boring. She was like, Ugh, yeah, he no. just wouldn't but stop that's what I'm saying. Like she's because she sat there and she's like, I want someone intellectual. And he wasn't even like a fun intellect. He was just like rattling off numbers and I, I guarantee and he just memorized as best as he could everything he heard on C-SPAN, and then he just started vomiting all that information at her in a monotonal voice, not unlike episode six of the podcast for once the dude was the, the male character was actually aggressive he was there to get some where most of the characters that they, they, they go on a date i don't think buzz was being aggressive dude don't dude, go his hands? They're, they're no, both. his hands are vibrating no. dude it, he what they are two teenage kids and he's trying to get some sugar from his girl jesus christ it's not sugar. about it's not about statutory rape and it's not <laughs> oh my god <laughs> jesus so till my dreams come true, I'll whisper goodnight, turn out the light and kiss my pillow, making believe it's you. Okay, so her name was what? Patsy what? Patsy Walker. Pots, Patsy Walker. She may have been a major factor in keeping that company afloat to, for there ever have been Marvel comics, and yet nobody talks about this character anymore. But she was remembered by Steve Englehart. Now, Steve Englehart, when he started working for Marvel, he worked on their romance and Western titles to show his stuff. But he'd been a collector and a fan from long before then, and he used to buy Patsy's books because he bought everything Marvel put out. And he was always very keen on that Fantastic Four annual because he realized that those characters were part of the Marvel Universe, and it was always in the back of his mind. He brought Patsy back in Amazing Adventures number 13, July 1972. At that point, that was something of an anthology title. They had given the Beast, Hank McCoy, the lead feature and he had a run of so many issues and I think that was the first time they'd ever done that with an X-Men character because as you recall the X-Men were not the X-Men in 1972 they were just one of the failed team books that Marvel had had and they hadn't really done a lot with those characters I think by that point the book was all reprints they weren't even producing new material and so for the Beast to get his own feature they knew they had to do something extra to make him relevant for the 1970s since he'd never been very successful in the 60s they had had him graduate from the Xavier School he was working for the Brand Corporation and he'd fallen in love with this girl who happened to be a double agent with the Secret Empire. He wanted to be able to be with this woman, but he felt like his mutation was holding him back, so he began working on a serum to deactivate the mutant gene, effectively curing mutantism. He takes the serum, of course it doesn't have the right effect. He's Dr. Jekyll and he becomes Mr. Hyde. All of a sudden he has gray fur, very shaggy, very bestial, he can't stand upright, he's running around, getting into business, causing himself problems. He's screwed up his life worse instead of fixing it. And he actually starts wearing a human face mask and like this girdle thing that help him stand upright to hide it while he tries to work on a cure for his condition. In the midst of that going on, Captain Buzz Baxter... Was that like working, her sweetheart in the comics? Or was yeah, that? it was her sweetheart okay. in the comics. Okay. Turned husband of Patsy Walker was brought in in a Major Glenn Talbot role. While Brand was a private corporation, he was trying to chase down this beast that was wrecking things within the corporation since their main contracts were with the government. So as he's trying to find
find the beast. The beast is trying to elude him. And at some point, the beast ends up crossing paths with Patsy Baxter. She realizes that he's not harmful, helps him to heal when he's been damaged in a battle. But she also forced him to promise her to help her to become a superhero. She knows that all the superheroes know each other, and she wants to get joined in the club. Beast says, okay, fine, but I gotta get out of here for right now. And the plotline didn't get resolved in Amazing Adventures because Beast ended up leaving that book. But when Steve Englehart moved to writing the Avengers, he brought the Beast over with him. One interesting tidbit, too, in Amazing Adventures, they make a point when he goes from gray to blue coloring to say, no, he's actually got black fur. It's just that back then they couldn't do black hair, so everybody had blue hair, the whole Superman thing. And so for all these years when you've seen a blue Beast and that got transferred into the movies, it was basically the limitations of coloring. He was at, he was supposed to be black. In text, they tell you he's black. I'm trying to remember if I knew that or not. That makes sense. Like you said, it's a Superman thing. Blue is always the highlight for black right. hair. It doesn't make well, any I mean, sense. But when we read the Cat blue. comic, she had black hair, but yeah. all the highlights it's were all blue. blue. We're conditioned because we read comic books. Go, oh, man, she's got black hair. But when you got an entire figure and there's a lot of blue peeking out because they're not trying to color him with nothing but India ink, then it just doesn't register in our mind that he's supposed to be black anymore. Makes sense. As we transferred to quote-unquote modern-day comics, they got married. Mm-hmm. Baxter Corp, was that the name of the... Brandt. Brandt Corporation. Brandt Corp was where they both worked? No, she didn't work. She didn't work. She'd taken on his name, so she became Patty Baxter. Right. And so they do set up that her name used to be Patty Walker at some point? Yeah, they're kind of vague about it. They give you enough so that you know that she's supposed to be this character. It's kind of like a, a wink-wink? Wink? Yeah, a little bit of a wink-wink there. Okay. Englehart moved the Beast into the Avengers, and George Perez was drawing the book, so he's the one who cleaned up the Beast look, where before he was very shaggy and rough and feral. He gave him the more licensing-friendly, clean-cut, and well-adjusted Beast, because by this point, Beast had gotten used to the fact that at some point, I don't remember when it was introduced, but he was actually supposed to emit a pheromone that made him more attractive to women because of the serum that he took. And I'm wondering if that maybe kicked in as well, because all of a sudden he was very well adjusted and, and ladies like cool Hank McCoy. After the Beast had been with the Avengers for a short time, but he wasn't even officially a member yet, Patsy tracks him down, and in a flashback to the way they handled the introduction of Mary Jane Watson in the Spider-Man comics, she appeared in several consecutive issues of the Avengers where she's knocking on the door, talking to Jarvis, trying to meet up with the Beast, being told he's not around, and decided she's going to stay on the porch, always concealing her face, so you didn't know who she was or what her motivation was. Tease it out a little bit. It wasn't until Avengers number 144 in February 1976 that they actually told you what her deal was. In between Amazing Adventures and the Avengers, she had divorced Baxter, and she was dead set on becoming a superhero. She had apparently been a fan for years. She'd been kind of like a Gidget. She was a surfboarder. She was real active. She was happy. She had her boyfriend, Buzz Baxter. She enjoyed her competition with her girlfriend, Hedy Wolf. In the Avengers issue, they do a cute bit where they call back to Pat's Perky Print by Alice Hartley of New York City. But the whole time, apparently, what you didn't get to see in the comics was she was daydreaming about superheroes. She particularly had a crush on Reed Richards and would go to sleep with a framed picture of him at night that would help her to dreams about becoming a superhero. Of course, when he got married to Sue Storm, she drug Hedy Wolf with her to see that happen. Both of them, plus Millie the Model, turned up in that one issue. That helped to inspire her to go ahead and have her own fairy tale wedding, so she finally married Buzz Baxter. Toward the end of the Patsy Walker run, when they turned into a soap opera and things got real serious, I guess they decided they needed a new love interest, so Buzz Baxter went to Vietnam. He was out of the strip for the last few months, and apparently he almost died it, within the context of the strip, and that's how he managed to come back home, because he had this near-death experience. In the books, they make it to where that experience had changed his persona, that he had become much more angry, and he had some mental issues. He comes back to the world, and he signs on with the Brand Corporation, and she was very turned off, not only by his aggression, because he became very... I don't think 
think they ever said that he was physically violent to her, at least not at this point, but he was clearly verbally violent, screaming at her, making her tear up and everything else. So it makes more sense that she would be desperate since she wasn't working, she didn't have a career, she wasn't a career girl anymore, for her to take to the Beast and be like, get me out of this mess. And so after the Beast had left, she divorces Baxter, but she's still hunting for the Beast because she still wants to be a superhero. She wants to have the dream life that she's lost because she thought she was going to have the fairy tale and it totally eluded her. It turns out that the Brand Corporation has been bought by Roxxon Oil, who were one of the big bad guys of the 70s and 80s Marvel comics. Yep. If you ever wanted to have an evil corporation, it was going to be Roxxon. Since the Avengers are involved and Beast has decided to allow Patsy to come along and see how they do things, she tries to help out in the adventure while wearing heels and a skirt. Doesn't go very well and she ends up screwing up the mission. She basically is the first domino that causes the whole Avengers team to fall and get captured by the Squadron Supreme when they would have been tricked into being villains and working for the Brand Corporation. It's part of this extremely convoluted storyline, so I'm trying not to get into any of that stuff. They're being held captive. They use ingenuity, particularly Iron Man, the Vision, and Captain America. They manage to break out of their cell, and they're loose inside the Brand Corporation, but they have one of those tricked-out James Bond villain bases, so even though they're in the middle of New York City, they've got missiles flying, stuff's getting knocked over, and Patsy's having to get saved over and over again. She's not showing a lot of ability at this point, but they manage to not die and go into hiding within the confines of this corporation. They happen to find the cat's old cost, the corporation that Mal Donald or something? No. Mal Donald's it's not, I keep wanting to say Donaldson. Let's just go with Mal. The no. creepy Howard Hughes knockoff. Apparently after he got himself dead, his corporation was sold to Roxxon, and Roxxon inherited all of his goods, which included all those cat costumes. Since this cat costume happened to be laying around, they're like, hey, you want to wear this? So she asked the Captain America and Iron Man specifically, turn your heads, I want to go ahead and get into this costume. Fantastically it- drawn by George Perez, by the way. Yeah. Iron Man says, you think you're going to stand any better chance against them than you did before? They step on cats. And she replies, then I'll be something more than a cat. Turn around, gentlemen, and meet the Hellcat. The captions read, She's not the sight they expected to see. The rumpled girl in the borrowed costume isn't there anymore. Crouched in her place, claws gleaming in the feeble lamplight, is a far more impressive form, a far more sinister form. Even Iron Man catches his breath. (laughs) Good way to sell the character. Yeah. The Hellcat and the Avengers confront the Squadron Supreme again, but by this point, the evil boss guy, Mr. Jones, decides, I'm done with all this superhero shit, so he hits a button to send everybody back to the Squadron Supreme's universe, let it be their problem. Then, because Englehart couldn't meet his deadlines, they had a two-issue filler story that broke everything up, and then you come back. On the Squadron Supreme Earth, first Doctor Spectrum blasts Iron Man. Then Hellcat jumps at Hyperion. The wizard is laughing because, like, this chick's going after Hyperion? That's our Superman. She's about to get toast. But what ends up happening is she's not only provides enough distraction for Iron Man to recover and blast the wizard, but because she's so agile, Hyperion can't lay up gloves on her. He's just swinging at her and he can't quite hit her. So she's, this time, helping to save the team's butt. However, the Squadron Supreme being the Justice League of their Earth, they're the heroes. So the the government shows up and shuts down the Avengers takes them all captive. Well, most of them anyway. Hellcat's one of the heroes who managed to escape and she runs off with the Beast. Get jumped by Captain Hawk, Tom Thumb, and Amphibion, or to put it in layperson's terms, the Squadron Supreme's versions of Hawkman, Adam, and Aquaman. Hawkman dive bombs her with his mace and tries to crush Hellcat. Beast was able to warn her and then kick Hawkman away. Then everybody's blasted by Tom Thumb, who has this rocket ship that he's flying around on. Meanwhile, out of the sewer comes the Ursat's Aquaman. This time he's a redhead, though. And he says, It's not our habit on this earth to harm the weaker sex, so why not simply surrender? Oh Hellcat. Yeah. <laughs> Hellcat. And he's got, he even has a gleam in his teeth. Hellcat replies, You know, Amphi, I'm not a big women's liver, and you're probably the handsomest man I've seen in weeks, but 
but I'm going to lay you out for that. She kicks him in the face. He tries to jump at her. He jumps around her, cracks some jokes. He ends up slamming through a window and getting himself knocked out. It's a fish market, of course, because they had to get the joke in there. She gets nailed by this white paste blasted out of Tom Thumb's little flying ship. So you think, okay, well, this is the part where she goes down. But she manages to shoot her claws and snag Tom Thumb's ship. Then the beast grabs the wires and tugs the little bastard down and kicks his ass. Hawkman comes back and Beast manages to knock him out one more time. So she's actually acquitting herself fairly well. Now she keeps saying that the suit is enhancing her abilities, but as we learned in the cat story, it was the treatment, not the suit. Maybe the claws would be the only thing. How she managed to get those other abilities, they don't address here. Hmm. But she's kicking a fair amount of ass. The Avengers manage to get back to their Earth after they defeat the Squadron Supreme, manage to convince them that the people they were working for on Avengers Earth were the bad guys. So they come back to our Earth and they start beating the hell out of all the generic thugs that the Brand Corporation throws at them. And then of all people, who comes in and knocks out the Avengers with one big punch? Orca, the human killer whale from the Submariner comics. Which at least helps to establish that Submariner is not somebody to be trifled with. The Avengers are captured. They're put into a, one of those contraptions where a flip of the switch will turn them into nothing, not even ashes. But of course, they're going to wait to flip that switch until after Orca shows whether or not he can beat Thor, who shows up from a whole different story arc with Moon Dragon. Not getting into that. <laughs> And I just have to point out, what a bizarre collection of characters we have going right now. We have Orca, the Squadron Supreme, Vision, Beast, Scarlet Witch, Hellcat, Thor, Moondragon. I mean, this is just a complete shuffling of Guide to the Marvel Universe entries. Uh, Not just that, but I didn't even mention the part where there's flashbacks to Hawkeye's trip to meet the Old West heroes that's going on in the midst of all this stuff. (laughs) Oh my god. Eventually what happens is Thor has to remind himself that he's a god. He's been pulling his punches for so long on Earth that that's why he'd been struggling. And he manages to beat Orca by remembering his godhood. Then he decides, man, I've been holding back too long. I'm forgetting what it means to be a badass. I need to quit the Avengers. Meanwhile, Hellcat is the first Avenger to be roused, gets herself loose, and attacks her ex-husband, Buzz Baxter. She beats the hell out of him and threatens to claw him if he doesn't save her friends. The Avengers get released. They shut down the Roxxon Corporation, or at least this particular branch, Brand Corporation. The Avengers decide that they're going to have to reshuffle their lineup with Thor gone and other people coming in and out. They ask Hellcat if she wants to join, and she immediately says, yes, I want to join. Absolutely. Perfect. I'm on it. Moondragon, out of nowhere. She has not been a part of the main storyline. She's like, no, you got to come with me. You don't know what you're capable of doing. You've not learned how to be a heroine yet. I need to learn more about humanity. I'm going to run off with you, and you're going to let me train you. And Hellcat's like, well, I guess I haven't had any training yet. That makes sense. Okay, I'll go with you, Moondragon. That seems like an extraordinarily weird turn of events, especially because Inglehart was still writing the book. You'd think he'd want to keep his pet character, no pun intended with the whole Hellcat thing. But then later on, they retconned Moondragon being a lesbian, so maybe she just had like a flare-up. I think there was also mentioned that Hellcat was supposed to have latent psionic abilities. Moondragon had pinged to that and tried to train her up to be a hero. It didn't end up working out because less than a year later, Hellcat turned up in an issue of The Defenders. She'd been seeking Doctor Strange's aid, and with Doctor Strange out, they're like, well, hey, come join us, and we'll have an adventure together, and she ended up staying with The Defenders for years. I was, I was going to say, I wondered, when does she get to The Defenders if she joined The Avengers, but you preempted my question. <laughs> Sorry. No, it was good. Uh, completely bizarre, but good. <laughs> The thing with 
Nine Hellcat, when she joined the Defenders, the, that was always a weird book. They were always the unteam, the the non-team, whatever you want to call them. Because when you got a group that is set up by the Hulk, Silver Surfer, Doctor Strange, and Submariner, you're going to have some problems. <laughs> there was a lot of heaviness around that group as well. So one thing that worked with her joining the Defenders is that she had a lighthearted, innocent quality that balanced out a lot of those heavier personalities. The guy who was writing the book at the time was David Anthony Kraft. He loved her. And he liked putting his own goofy colloquialisms in there, having her say things like jumping Jehoshaphats, cheese and crackers, Jiminy Crickets. He really played up the fact that she'd been this older character. She'd been around since the 40s, so she would have this weird way of speaking. But 40s it was kind dialogue, of right? Yeah. Like, an, like her, that's her own alien language, 1940s, Golden Age comics. Yeah. Kraft had continued the goofy continuity stuff that Inglehart was doing by tying her in directly to Millie the model. She had had those crossovers back in the day, but Hellcat managed to pull Millie more firmly into the mainstream Marvel Universe. She was also treated as something of a fangirl, first fangirl superhero. She was into the cat. She thought it was a really cool character. When they found the cat costume, she's like, man, I don't know what happened to her, but she was a real stand-up woman hero. I want to be like her someday. She would gog over the moon dragon. She loved Miss Marvel when she got to meet her as a defender. Not only did she respect the hell out of Valkyrie, but they ended up becoming very close friends over the course of the defender stories. What was also cute is they introduced the conceit that the Patsy Walker comics actually exist in the Marvel Universe. That her mother had written the comics based loosely on Patsy Walker's own real life. God, this is totally like mind fucking me right now. How do you <laughs> So her comics became actual comics inside the comics. Inside the comics written by her comic mom about her actual life in the comics. Well, it was supposed to be heavily fictionalized. Like, Hetty Wolf was actually a good friend to her, and why she would write her as this super catty, super competitive person was never revealed. That her and Hetty would laugh about how ridiculous Hetty's characterization was in the comics. In the comics, in the comics. Right. And I assume her mom must have been writing those Millie the Model comics as well. She had a whole empire going, apparently. Holy cow. The mom died in Defenders number 89, 1980, and that's where they revealed a lot of that stuff. Damn, R.I.P. J.M. Dematis revealed a portion of Walker's soul had been promised to the devil by her mother, leading to a confrontation with Satan involving Damon Hellstrom. Walker would eventually marry the son of Satan and be confronted in the process by her vindictive ex-husband turned supervillain Mad Dog. Stop. <laughs> so, it, I'm, I'm going to tie this back in. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Follow him here. So what we're saying is... Patty's mom saved Marvel Comics by creating Patsy. Because Patsy bridged the gap between the superhero comics in the 40s and the Silver Age. And we're trying to say that she created Patsy's comic, which supported and gave birth to Marvel Comics by selling a part of her soul to the devil. I don't think they actually tied Marvel's 5 million copy sales to the devil, but it does make a certain kind of sense, doesn't it? It makes a lot of sense. (laughs) Missed the part about how Buzz Baxter becomes his own supervillain. Mad Dog. What was great about him, too, is before I knew anything about the character, I always loved the costume, because I love overly literal suits. He's dressed as a dog. It's a dog-influenced costume with dog ears, even though he's given claws, which doesn't make a lot of sense. But just to make sure you're not confused, they also give him a growling dog chest emblem. Between the claws and the way his mask is shaped, he actually, in the face, looks more like a cat. And because the dog face goes into these little shoulder blade thingies, it actually looks like he's got a rabid rabbit on his chest instead of a dog. But it was still a cool costume, and brown and black, rocking the Wolverine thing. Hellcat was written out of the Defenders, along with several other mainstays, as part of the transition to the new Defenders with issue 125 in 1983. Worth noting, one of the major changes to the new Defenders was that three founding members of the X-Men, Beast, Angel, and Iceman, joined the team. From that point on, Hellcat was retired from superheroing. She didn't make very many appearances through into the early 90s. The worst thing you can do as a comic book character, she wrote a memoir, The Hellcat Chronicles. Nothing has ever good come out of superheroes writing memoirs. Look at what happened to the Atom. Look 
look at what happened to Elongated Man. Don't ever do the whole, oh, I'm done with superheroing. Let me reveal my identity and all the particulars of my life to a world full of supervillains in a very vindictive place. Yeah, that didn't work out for it. Cut to 1993, Hellstorm Prince of Lies by Rafael Nivez and Michael Baer. Do you remember that book? Yeah. It had that parchment cover. It was supposed to look like... I don't know what that was supposed to look like. It looked kind of like a manila folder. Now, I'd like Nieves. He'd been doing a book for... What was the name of that publisher? He did a bunch of horror stuff. Anyway, the title was Cold-Blooded. And to the best of my knowledge, it was the first comic work by Kyle Hotz, who was an artist I quite liked. And it was a pretty good book, but I noticed that once Hotz left, I suddenly lost interest. I went ahead and followed Nieves to Hellstorm. Plus, I liked Michael Bear's artwork. And it's the early 90s. If you had a cover like that, people wanted to buy it. Couldn't get into it. I lasted three or four issues. It just so happened that... With issue 14, Hellcat commits suicide. One of the things I didn't like about that first issue was at the end of it, they showed Patsy Walker. I think she was shaving bald, or maybe she was doing that thing where she was pulling her own hair out. She's drooling, and she's showing that she's gone nuts. Death Urge, that Quasar villain, had apparently pushed her to commit suicide because Damon Hellstrom had been succumbing to his satanic leanings, becoming a more evil person. She was consigned to Mephisto's hell alongside Mockingbird, who you may recall was also killed around the same time. I think in, what was it, a Foil embossed cover that they threw on Avengers West Coast 100 when they I, killed her I, or whatever. I, I don't remember what the cover was like for Avengers West Coast 100. I yeah. just know it was a, it was a big deal. Yeah, so they're both in hell together, which shows the contempt that Marvel had for its superheroines at that particular point in time. Especially since Mockingbird and Hellcat were both non-derivative male characters. Wow, you guys really have contempt for these guys. And Valkyrie had already been killed by that point too. So what the fuck, Marvel? Jeez. In the special Thunderbolts 2000, Damon Hellstrom talked Hawkeye into leading the Thunderbolts into hell to save Mockingbird, but in fact, he was tricked and he saved Hellcat instead. Holy cow. A lot of the information I got was from an article in back issue number 40, the magazine, great magazine, by the way, written by Jonathan Miller. I want to give him credit. I use other sources too, but a lot of my information came from that. It was a very well-researched article. No fancy me in Papa, don't you fancy me in That is a just bizarre chain of events to bring one character for, I mean that's one of the more unique not only like comic book origin creation origin and kind of cool isn't yeah. it it's weird that it's it makes such me want to go read more, history it makes me want to read more Hellcat comics like I just I don't know I just, for some reason I just had no idea she had anything to do with Patsy Walker America's number one well, and you like, didn't know who the hell Patsy Walker was I, I, had no clue. I know who Archie is I had no clue I had no idea who Patsy Walker is that's so crazy that she she was selling five million comics and and was in a Marvel branded comic before the Fantastic Four. Freaking mind! Well, and, and she mind also, exploded and imploded. And, and it's worth noting too: none of the Marvel heroes survived the 1940s. All their books got canceled. They had a revival in the 50s, so at least a few of the guys, Human Torch, Submariner, Captain America, claimed to have been published by Atlas. But those books all bit it within a year's time. So she spanned timely to Atlas to Marvel with her one series. All penned by her own comic book mother who sold her soul to the <laughs> devil. Yeah, I gotta say, this was all pretty much accidental. Beyond hashtag Frank's agenda, I read The Cat, and I figured, okay, well, if I read The Cat, I need to go ahead and read the Hellcat stuff, too, and see what was going on there. And like you, it just blew my mind. All this bizarre history, all this convolution in publishing history, in continuity history, it was so fascinating to me. I was just enthralled with this information. I want to troll eBay and buy old issues, at least like some of the last issues of the Archie days, and I want to buy like all the soap opera issues, because I want to see how weird this book was, because she spans teen comedy, to soap opera, to superhero action, to deep 
dark fucking suicide horror bullshit. Well, to, um, well and even back then, when Baxter going off to Vietnam and then coming yeah. back with some whack PTSD. And you're talking, this is like 64, 65. The book was canceled by 67, both the, both the Hetty and Patsy and Hetty, the last book. But a lot of that stuff was happening in the eponymous book, so you're talking about they're deep in the Vietnam when this shit's going on. Yeah, this is like Archie having, like, would Archie ever have PTSD? Don't well, think so. Jughead? Did Jughead have had PTSD? No, I never had the PTSD. PTSD. But PTSD. have you heard about what they've been doing in Archie in recent years? Uh, no. They had this magazine called Life with Archie. It was actually in the magazine format. A what if, an Elseworld, a parallel universe story arc where the Archie kids are adults. It's bifurcated. Half the book is what would have happened if Archie had married Betty, and the other half is what would have happened if Archie had married Veronica. This series lasted three years of showing these parallel storylines. I'm sure you heard recently, they merge the two storylines because the gay character they introduced into the Archie, Kevin Keller, in this alternate future after his lover is killed by a gunman who is aiming for him because he was pushing for gun control, another assassin tries to kill Kevin Keller, Archie takes the bullet, and so in both the story arcs, dies in front of the woman he loves, even though they never tell you which one it is in the ultimate history, because the two timelines converge there. Wait. Arch- <laughs> Archie's took a Bullet and for Kevin Keller, the gay mur- ex-military senatorial. Uh, I think he's a senatorial candidate. Took bullet, <laughs> Archie. Yeah, and he died recently. This mur- was like just a few months ago, man. I can't believe you didn't hear about it. They had all these different covers. Alex mur- Ross did one of the covers. I'm not kidding. Merge alternate time <laughs> divergent timeline. A line? three year long what if with Archie? Yeah, three year long Archie. <laughs> I broke something between Patsy Walker and Archie or uh This is I <laughs> I I remember I heard something about Archie. I just I I don't know this is the weirdest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> what the hell has happened to comic books since I got out of it? This is not too much for the big guys, but boy Archie blew up, didn't he? Jesus Christ, poor Archie. And I got another one for you. They've also recently started a book in another timeline called Afterlife with Archie, in which Sabrina is trying to help Jughead to save his dog, Hot Dog, after it's been run over, Pet cemetery style, and inadvertently starts a zombie apocalypse, where Jughead is the alpha zombie who raids a prom in Riverdale and starts killing off all the Archie characters, and they all have to run to Veronica Lodge's house, which is, of course, super secure, and try to, to block off this bizarre stuff. And also, Sabrina's aunts trap her in some limbo hell situation as punishment for causing this to happen, and she's getting a spinoff book that's going to be a dark sorcery title, plus you still have the afterlife with Archie with all the Archie characters being zombified. So, okay. Is the actual Archie book still just going on normally? And these yeah. are all... Okay. Yeah. With the exception of they've added the characters like Kevin Keller does exist in the current Archie continuity. I think that's kind of awesome. Actually, I was reading Afterlife with Archie. I've got to finish it up. I've only got about three or so issues into it. Certainly more interested than recycling the same jokes for 70 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wrapping it with bubblegum and selling it. Yeah, I mean, it's... Do something with it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, what the hell? It's 2014. Except that Patsy Walker already blazed that trail, too, because she was doing all that shit years before Archie. Her whole continuity is the weird shit Archie's going through right now. She was probably the first Marvel character to ever get a divorce. One of the earliest ones to get married, clearly. And all the fucked up shit that's happened to her. Suicide? She's done that already. Having your mother sell your soul to the devil? Been there, done that. Centerville? It's already fucking Twin Peaks there, apparently. (laughs) Man, that's crazy. I'm I'm seriously... I mean, I, I, I... The cat and Hellcat... I have no 
I know those characters existed, and I know they'd pop in and out of the books I would read occasionally. I don't know if I remembered to mention it, but the cat does continue to exist. She gets to become Tigra, who is a much more famous character than Hellcat or the cat. So she's got a whole other continuity that we can deal with some other time. So you've got this whole legacy thing going on here. My only criticism is I do think it's lame that Patsy Walker inherits somebody else's costume and doesn't actually get a proper origin. She's a cosplayer, and it worked out really well for her. Well, for a few months, and then it all went to hell. Yeah, that is kind of lame. But getting drawn by George Perez in early part of his career and written by Steve Englehart, that's not so bad. For all we know, there may be some intellectual property reasons why they couldn't officially tie it back. And I guess they... No, because the... Baxter was Are you talking there. about the I whole mean, continuity thing? No, no, no. They just did that because they, just did they didn't want to acknowledge that all those goofy stories were supposed to have happened in Marvel continuity. So it, it gave them an excuse to get Millie and Hetty all together again. It's so, we're, so we're saying Englehart was the one behind all this? No, Englehart got the ball rolling, but David Anthony Kraft gets credit too because he's the one who created the comic within a comic concept. So do we know, was this, this was not a mandate? Hey, you know what? Let's try and bring back Patsy Walker. Absolutely not. This was totally... No way. This was, the, yeah. this was somebody like this is what I'm going to do to get one of my, it, tie it back to some of the old comics yeah. like to the kid. It's the Wild West 70s. That was back when Marvel were going through an editor-in-chief every few months where people were doing all kinds of gondos shit. This is the era of Howard the Duck. Mantis. I can't even, I don't even talk about Mantis right now. I, there's too much going on in my head as it is. But yeah, so, and then when, he, when she moved to Defenders, Defenders was always this weird gonzo book where writers did esoteric stuff just for giggles just to entertain themselves that was actually probably the Defenders downfall because I think what happened is once you got into the 80s and everybody got so goddamn serious about their comic book continuity then they couldn't handle stuff like Elf with a Gun and, and all the other wacky stuff that was going on in the Defenders books just the lineup man you got fucking Son of Satan and the Gargoyle and Valkyrie and just that, that's a weird ass team that, but that's a story for another day. The, the point is, is it was guys who realized they could get away with all kinds of goofy nonsense, and they could include random stuff that they remembered from their childhood into the continuity and went nuts with it. Man, that is super, super wild. I don't know how to end this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say I need to go read me some more Hellcat books. I'm going to do my best to try to dig some of that stuff up. I want to read more about that character. She's fascinating to me. Again, part of the reason why I did this, besides the fact that I just want equal time, is I also want more cool, interesting, powerful heroines to make transition to film. I like Black Widow. I think she's been great in the Marvel movies. They're going to get Scarlet Witch in there too. I want to see more. There's just too many white guys. I want to see more heroines. And I was going mining for characters that had the stuff to work with. And I just stumbled upon this character where you can go anywhere. You want to do horror? You want to do comedy? You want to do superheroes? You can do whatever the hell you want to with her. That fascinates me because there's so many different directions you go with this character, and she's beholden to no man. She's her own thing. Very much a whole thing going on there. I would love to see Marvel and, take Hellcat. And she's about as true a Marvel character when you trace back her lineage as exists. So it'd be interesting to see to watch Marvel embrace that. Marvel has been trying to go back to... Uh, they had a run of heroines back in the late 40s, early 50s, where they were trying to push girl superheroes, trying to expand the market. And these characters just showed up for a few months, and then they disappeared, weren't seen again for 60-some-odd years. And then they've been slowly trying to play with those concepts again in recent years. Patsy Walker's got 20-some-odd years worth of comics, and then another 20-some-odd years worth of weird, tortured, Marvel-style continuity. <laughs> you can play with all that stuff... I'm not going to claim that there's an audience out there for this character anymore. I think that most of those people that read those books are, have died off or aren't yeah. necessarily going off to see the Marvel movies. But uh, there's so much and more we hope to draw so. from. We, and we hope so, so they didn't have to see their 
poor dear Patsy suicide herself. Right, that was rough. That, that And that's something that I think you'd have to address. But that's the thing, too, is you could make a series just out of trying to dig through that continuity and fix some of the stuff that you didn't like and was broken. And there's all this cool stuff to play with, too, because she's got a whole cast of supporting characters, all the weird stuff that got tied up into Centerville. Honestly, I'd love to see Hellcat brought back as a backdoor, a Defender's book, where you stick all those weird characters that nobody does anything with anymore, like Hellstorm and Gargoyle. Hell, Valkyrie's not doing a lot these days. They've tried to do some stuff with her and it had worked out. You could do the same thing with Hellcat that you did with Captain Marvel, where you take a character that has all these weird, jacked-up, broken pieces and go in there and tweak it and fix it and make them conic where they have a mission. Someone like Superman, honestly, I think there's an inertia to that character. They keep publishing the, the stories, but what new stories do you need to tell with Superman at this point? What story hasn't already been told a half dozen times by Superman? They're mostly just repeating the same stuff. The creators, if they have something new to say about the character, they're prohibited by the fact that he's Superman. They're only going to let you do so much with him. Or they're doing terrible stuff like they decide, we need to make Superman cool by having him snap necks and let's put him in an awful Jim Lee 90s costume and stuff like that. Stupid, superficial, bad ideas. Hellcat, there's no restrictions. There's all kinds of places you can go with that character. You can say things about women with that story. You can say things about the continuity that she's had. You can say things about freaking Satanism. You can get metaphysical on it. There's so many different ways you could go with this character. There's no boundaries. She's a character who exists specifically to defy boundaries and to do all kinds of crazy stuff. And the fact that she's so goofy and bubbly and she's a fangirl, she's a cosplayer essentially, but a cosplayer who took it to the nth degree. There's so much that's relatable with there and there's so especially, many... Inter- especially nowadays when cosplay is as big as it's ever been. Yeah, absolutely. Ever. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's an in for a lot of women. Deciding that you like a suit that you want to cosplay as. Cosplayers don't just go, hey, I like that outfit. I'm going to copy it. A lot of those people go in they read about that character. They want to find out who they are. They're intrigued by the visual and they go backwards. Well, Hellcat's got a great visual. I've seen cosplayer play as Hellcat, even though that character's done hardly anything in the last 20-some-odd years. But she looks cool. She's, she seems fun. And if you go back and you read that stuff or you give people a cause to go back and read that stuff, there's such a rich vein to mine there. Uh, you could totally redo that character. I'm sorry, who was the writer again in the, that wrote her in The Defenders? David Anthony Kraft. You could totally do the David Anthony Kraft deal and go back to those comics in the 40s and 50s and pick out some of her sayings and some of the, that period-specific lingo that we've addressed in a few of these podcasts going back to reading some of that old Silver Age stuff and totally make those catch lines in just like her normal dialect in the, in the issue. And you could even like reprint some of those stories at the back of the issues. It's a gold it's, mine. It's a freaking gold mine when you think, again, cosplay is huge. Mm-hmm. You could totally tie that in. Anything retro. She's been an Avenger. She's been a Defender. Yeah, it, it so yeah, you can cross everybody over and it makes sense. And again, that, that retro ass, you could totally retro it. Everything about the book would be super... You could have it where she drives an old-ass car. You know what I mean? Just right. kind of that nod play, to... Play, lean you know, into I really it, yeah. like these... You know, she could have some old 40s Chevy or... It's like uh, when Swing got big ways back. Exactly. And exactly. everybody just kind of dove into that stuff. Hell, there are a lot of people who love the Captain America movies in part just because they're nostalgia pieces and he brings that with him into the present and they get off on that aspect it, of the character. And that's, ex- that's exactly what I'm saying. You've got the time capsule effect. This person who's stuck in that time period and you bring them out you can't do exactly like you can't, she can't have her ice block moment where the Avengers find him frozen in a block well, of ice but just you don't have to do that don't, don't get no but Cinderville uh, Cinderville is this weird town it could be that time that town is stuck in a time or what I was saying with the Twin Peaks thing when Twin Peaks came out in the early 90s that was a very retro kind of town it's like well these people are stuck in the 50s what's going on here and what was going on was all kinds of fucked up shit all under the surface 
turns Centerville into Twin Peaks, it's like, oh, hey, here's this bland white bread town, and we're still going to the malt shop and driving great big roadsters. Oh, by the way, we're selling our children to Satan and shit here, too. Let's investigate that. That's a whole series right there, just explaining what the deal is with Centerville. And you could explain all the weird stuff like that away, those contrivances, into, well, no, that's a reflection of the character and the weird places she's been. Yeah. Wow. So... If Marvel wants to get in contact with us so we can co-write oh, yeah, a just Hellcat a, book... The, the, leave a message uh, on the blog, at, Marvel Comics, at, Editor-in-Chief... Right, at Rolled Spine on Twitter. Um, hit us up on Tumblr? I, I don't you know if... Ever hired someone via Tumblr? Well, let's make it a first. Um, well, I, hey, Kevin Feige, the email address is right there, is all I'm saying. Yeah. And also, if you don't want to hire us, don't steal our idea, assholes. Thanks. No, actually, they can have this particular idea. I, I, I think the character's <laughs> bigger than you and I. Okay. But a check would be nice. Or like one of those tiny little acknowledgments while we're waiting 15 minutes to get through the credits to the stinger at the end of a Marvel movie. Yeah, right after uh, special effects guys and special thanks to New Mexico. You know, our contribution will be somewhere beneath Steve Gerber. Or don't mention us like Jack Kirby or something. Whatever, you know, tell me to. Okay. Since this episode ran long, I'm going to do an abbreviated mailbag, and we'll try to hit the big one next week. Also, I've been missing comments, so I'm going to be going through the podcast blog, seeing who I've missed and trying to catch up on that. I found a few, though, and we'll offer them this week. First off, though, we had a WordPress blog-like from Himanshu Harry 513 Twitter follows include Future Primitive, Incredible Facts, Radio vs. the Martians, and Thundercats.org. Twitter favorites came from Alexis Guerreros, Chris Thompson, CJ, Count Druncula, David Puglisi, Ilperin, Eternal Rage, Gerard Jones, Infinity Watcher, Keith G. Baker, Martin Gray, Professor Riptide, Sean McLaughlin, Sin, and the Top 5 Road Crew. We also received retweets from Ange, CJ, Infinity Watcher, Martin Gray, Sean McLaughlin, and Sin. As for our comments, Jason Martinez let us know that he's listening to the Origin of the Incredible Hulk episode. Sometime back, the Irredeemable Shag left us a notice about Annihilation, saying, You bastards, I downloaded the most recent episodes to listen to on a long plane ride. I turn on this particular episode, and it's all about Annihilation, a story I'm in the middle of reading. Given your spoilery nature, I immediately turned it off. Then I sat in silence on a four-hour flight with nothing to do. Arg, Thanks, jerks. Carl Pinkert said, Sweet thanks to our audio thanks to him. And we'll thank him in Audio Thanks, and maybe we'll get another sweet thanks, and the cycle will just keep repeating. Randy Caldwell, also of the Audio Thanks, said, Thanks. I just subscribed to the Marvel Superheroes podcast episode, even though Marvel Comics remain dead to me. The old stuff should still be quite entertaining. Hashtag House of Ideas. Siskoid said, I'm a big Tiger fan, going back to my first exposure in the West Coast Avengers miniseries. I have a lot of affection for everyone on the original team, even Wonder Man. You mentioned the lack of tail. I don't think she had a tail back then. That came from a mutation later. As for the psychosexual, yay, no comics code. What are they smoking? Marvel mags. I'm reminded here of the one copy of Rampaging Hulk I have. Well, check it out. And he gave us a link, so check the blog and you can get linked to it. Uh, he also says that the magazine format worked well for Conan because it used its codelessness for T and A and V for violence. I hasten to add, eep. But the more superhero-driven stuff went with phallic monsters and orgasm guns. What the hell? CJ said at the NYCC episode, a win for Paquita. She did good. I like The Dark Knight Rises specifically for Anna Hathaway's acting. I will watch it again and again for her scenes alone. It helps that she is hot, but that is not the reason I like her parts. But I like her parts as well. I also liked Bane, even though his voice was a hair too muffled. The character worked for me. I didn't like Talia's death 
worst part of the movie for me. I grew up through Breaking of the Bat, so it resonated with me. As for Man of Steel, he'll, he killed someone. I am good with that. Too many, too many people died. A lot of people died, yes, but the, re, the number he saved far outweighed the number that died. I've been on the Zack Snyder bandwagon since his Dawn of the Dead remake. I have not gotten off yet, so I am biased. Haha, ha, yeah, Sucker Punch had some good visuals. Now that movie is the perfect example of a movie's visuals outdoing the story. I don't like everything I see, but hey, I have been watching movies since I was a kid. My parents had a VHS video store, and let's just say there was way, way more bad movies than great movies. That trend continues today, so if I'm entertained even by half, then it is good enough for me. Therefore, although not in my top five, MOS and DKR gave me enough to hold me over until the next big dumb action movie from the comics world. Of NYCC, Siskoi said, Trotomundos? That means Globetrotter, right? Awesome name. Fun to see you growing your family. When did they try to turn Wally West into a minority combo? Sounded like you were talking about Kyle Rayner there. Given that you've covered a number of announcements out of Comic-Con, I was wondering if you guys are going to do anything with Secret Wars now that another and entirely unnecessary chapter has been announced. Uh, yes. We're going to be doing something with Secret Wars. Count Dracula, same episode, said... Even though Rosario Dawson's character is named after an obscure Luke Cage love interest, I'm pretty sure her character will be, effectively, the Night Nurse. Jeff Loeb kind of sort of alluded to this in the panel at NYCC. Night Nurse was named Linda Carter, so Marvel might want to change the character's ID to avoid confusion with the Wonder Woman television show's star actress, Linda Carter. One spelled with an I, one with a Y. Of the Mockingbird episode, Professor Riptide said, Yay, thanks guys. Looking forward to hearing the new one. Eternal Rage said, No live tweet. Mac, the first 10 to 15 minutes of Man of Steel is a fantastic science fiction movie. Crow steals the show. Martin Gray said, Great Mockingbird podcast, and always good to hear some Damon Hellstrom talk. As a sub-editor, the Hellstorm business annoys. Regarding our promotion of the Patsy Walker episode you just listened to, Ange said, Intrigued. And Eternal Rage said, You guys have got me hyped up for the new episode more than usual. High hyped, if you will. Hashtag pound. Hashtag reboot, reboot, reboot. I hope we lived up to our hype. See you next week. The Marvel Superheroes Podcast is in no way affiliated with or endorsed by Marvel Entertainment. All characters mentioned and audio clips employed are believed covered under fair use, with no infringement intended against their copyright holders. The views expressed in this podcast are assumed legitimate, truthful, and solely possessed by the speaker. Maybe we can do it again some other time. You guys mentioned doing a uh, Dreadstar. Oh, you want to get on Dreadstar? Well, you said you like the cosmic stuff, right? I love the cosmic stuff. That's why your actually first episodes hooked me on it. The Annihilation stuff? Yeah, and now you're dragging what, what me down with What now? I, I was making a joke about you dragging me down with the Hellcat. I'll tell you, though, I'm really proud of the Patsy Walker episode. I'm still editing it. I've been working on that since August. You said you liked having the conversations, and it's highly informative, but because I had such verbal diarrhea related to it, I made a point of doing some stuff where it was just Mac and fix it together and letting them go off. It is such fun for me editing those episodes and listening to those guys just bitching at each other. Um, so regardless of your your interest in the Marvel horror stuff or Hellcat or any of that, I just think that that's a fun episode, and I'm looking forward to that one coming out. But um, Dreadstar ran long enough that I know that the first ones would have to be just the three of us, but at some point they're going to lose interest, especially after the first dozen issues. That second year, we're think- well, second two years actually, is because it was bi-monthly. We'd need somebody, we'd probably need to bring somebody in just to keep it going. And 
and we also still want to do more independent stuff. I've, I've been trying to get that to happen. It's been a little bit slow. One guy will really like one book, and he'll read deep into that, and then the other guy won't. And But we want to do a broader selection. So you're not opposed to doing more, I mean, like independent, meaning like image we, we, independent? We or? very much intend to do independent works. 